Hello, and welcome to the Confucian Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, I strongly recommend that you start with episode one, since the episodes are more or less sequential, and you could have a hard time following if you're new to Confucianism. Otherwise, stick with us. We'll be talking about killing kids, burying your children alive, filial piety, all kinds of good stuff. So it might just get interesting. There's a strong connection between Confucianism and filial piety or respect for parents, filial piety. Filial piety is there in the intellects. It has a real presence in the text. But two things. First, filial piety in China predates Confucius, although xiao, or filial piety, applied to more than just parents earlier, I mean, before Confucius. Second, it seems to have been built up later, filial piety, in connection with Confucianism, to the extent that some people equate Confucianism with doing what your parents tell you to do. So, but what is the Confucian perspective on kids and their parents? Is it really different from European or North American cultural views or traditions? Has that always been the case? What might it have to do with ritual and the social order? The Yuan Dynasty classic, the the 24 filial exemplars, is a collection of moral tales about filial piety. The filial exemplars include stories that seem a little odd to Westerners. There are stories of people who go all out for their parents, really all out. There's a story about a guy whose parents can't afford a mosquito net, so he sleeps naked, so the mosquitoes will bite him rather than his parents. There's one about a young woman who nurses her mother-in-law with her own breast milk because the mother-in-law can't eat solids. It's this kind of thing. One of the stories, though, is pretty out there. It's an infamous story that pushes the envelope on filial piety, taking filial piety to an extreme. The story goes that Guo Zhu's family is experiencing poverty. It's him, his wife, their three-year-old son, and Guoju's mother. And there's not enough food, and the mother is experiencing hunger. So Guoju gets the idea for how to deal with the situation. And his solution is not belt tightening or finding a second job or something like that. No, his solution is to take the kid out to the yard and bury him alive. 
Because Guoju was so delightfully filial, because he put his mom first, Tian or heaven, which is the Chinese word for God, the, the great spirit, so to speak, was moved by Guoju's great morality in burying his son alive. So as Guoju was digging, he hid a chest of gold that was put there by God. And the moral is, filial piety is an absolute moral imperative. It trumps all other morals. Hi, I'm Andy Abel, and welcome to the Confucian Podcast, Episode 8. I'm so glad to have you listening. We have been focusing on ritual and benevolence, but in this episode and the next one, we'll get into parenting and the expectations for how children should be raised and how they should behave. A useful topic, I imagine. If you have questions or concerns, you can reach me at confucianpodcast at gmail.com. That's confucianpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Please do be in touch. I enjoy hearing from people. And before anyone emails me about that opening story, I should just say, please don't bury your children alive. That's really not a good thing to do. And those of us here at the Confucian Podcast do not recommend burying children a lot. Now, it is not the case that Chinese people, when they hear this tale, run out to bury their kids alive any more than Jewish parents would after hearing... Uh, the story of Abraham and Isaac go out and kill their kid. Uh, if you remember, there's a similar story uh, in the Bible. Abraham takes his kid up Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. And at the last minute, an angel gives him a ram to sacrifice instead. So the point of the Abraham story has to do with faith and probably with the story of how Judaism emerged from Baal worship, which involved the sacrifice of all firstborn sons. Now, the point of the Chinese story is that those who put filial piety first before all else will be rewarded by heaven. That's an underlying point in this story. Now, all societies have notions of filial piety uh, of some sort. I mean, people love their parents, right? Uh, most of them. But the notion is strongest in agricultural societies. The old patriarchal systems associated with agricultural production treated families like little kingdoms bound by loyalty with an elder male having control over everyone in the family. And kids had to obey. So part of what's happened over human history is greater respect for the personhood of children. Uh, the basic pattern is a gradual evolution, never perfectly linear, uh, with all kinds of twists and turns. But it looks like a movement from parents having absolute authority 
the old, uh, I brought you into this world and I can take you out cliche kind of hits the mark here, right? Uh, but we go from that to having laws against killing kids and eventually to having laws against child abuse. So, for instance, in Greco-Roman societies, a parent, well, a father anyway, uh, could kill his kid in ancient times. Roman law eventually made it illegal for a father to kill his offspring. But that was not until the Republic. Formal, Formal Chinese regulations against killing children began to appear in the Han Dynasty, actually, Although even up through the Qing dynasty, which is to say even into the 20th century, a dad could pretty much get away with killing a nasty, uh, unfilial kid, with get away with it with just a slap on the wrist, although the unfilial behavior had to be proved in court. Now, there was never a point in U.S. history where killing kids was legal, but it's worth pointing out that it took quite a while before there were laws against child abuse. The first case came in the mid-19th century. Uh, It was a really interesting case. A mom who had slashed up her daughter horribly uh, was arrested. The mom was arrested. It would have been, in some ways, more interesting if it had been a father, since there were, and still are, I think, strong double standards against moms doing things like this. But anyway, um, here's the interesting thing. The case was only allowed to proceed because the judge in this case, it was a New York Supreme Court justice uh, named Abraham Riker Lawrence, uh, and he allowed the prosecution to apply laws that existed. There were laws in the books that prevented cruelty to animals. That's right. America had laws against abuse of animals before we had laws against child abuse. Chinese people who assume that China is Confucian and imagine that Americans have never been as strict with their children are often surprised to learn how similar were conditions between dynastic China and America in colonial times. Uh, It was especially during the colonial period where corporal punishment of children was very common and even expected Uh, present-day Chinese kids in whatever part of the Chinese diaspora are treated much better than kids in colonial America ever were, needless to say. So what happened is that an agricultural China's interactions with an industrialized West gave many people the impression that there was something fundamentally different about China. Different, well, sure, but not to the extent that has often been imagined. So if history had gone the other way and contemporary Chinese had encountered, say, the Puritans of the 17th century, uh, pretty much no one would think of filial piety as a particularly Chinese thing. Or would we? Uh, The basic pattern is strict control of kids and strong expectations of filial behavior and respect for elders in agricultural societies. That's everywhere. But the emphasis is a little different in Confucianism, both in that there is a link to ancestor worship as well as to self-cultivation, as we will see. And that's where it really gets interesting for me. Filial piety was in place as a virtue in China before the time of Confucius, as I mentioned, 
So, okay, uh, it's not particularly Confucian, but what did the Ruists make of filial piety? So let's turn to our key passage for this episode. I'm in Book 1, Chapter 2 of the Analects, and we can get a sense here of how actually filial piety does matter and matter a lot to Ruist thinkers. Here's the passage. Yozi yue, qi wei ren ye xiao di. Er hao fan shang zhe xian yi, bu hao fan shang. Er hao zuo luan zhe wei zhi you ye. Jun zi wu ben, ben li er dao sheng, xiao di ye zhe qi wei ren zhi ben yu. Master Yo said, a young person who is filial and yet loves defying authority is rare. A person who does not love defying authority and yet loves creating chaos, there has never been such a case. The gentle person, the Junzu, serves what is at root. Once the roots are established, the way will grow. Surely, filial piety is the root of benevolence. There are several passages on filial piety and respect for leaders, elders, and authorities. But this one is very direct in explaining the relationship to Confucian concerns. So let's dig in a bit. Now, this uh, statement comes to us from Yodzi, one of Confucius's key disciples, and we met him in episode three. He's also called Zhuo or Yoruo, and he was the head of the Confucian school, it said, uh, for a while after Confucius died. So Master Yo gives us a case to consider, a young person who is filial and yet loves defying authority. One thing to know, I've just translated as filial, but it's not just Xiao, it's actually Xiao Di, and the Di here is uh, younger brother Di Di. Uh, it's the same kind of the same D as in DD. The reference here is to the expected orientation of brothers, the sort of chain of command thing in which the younger brother should follow the older brother's dictates. So we could translate this as respect for elders. That's basically the idea. So uh, the reference is to filial, both in the sense of obeying parents and older male siblings, or, well, elders. So Yodzi presents us, or Master Yo presents us with an odd possibility. Imagine a person who is raised to be respectful toward his parents and elders, and yet likes causing trouble. Master Yo tells us this is rare, and this makes sense. It's it's not the respectful kids is going to get into trouble. Good kids don't ordinarily enjoy annoying their school principals. These are not the kids who hassle the local police officers. It's a possibility, but it's rare. We just don't expect it. So, okay, straightforward. The second phrase is a little trickier, but still not bad. A person who does not love defying authority and yet loves creating chaos, there has never been such a case. So, okay, this is essentially a definitional. We could translate it as, by definition, if you don't like defying authority, then you're not the sort who enjoys creating chaos. Um, 
In classical Chinese, though, the phrase by definition was not used. So, uh, there has never been this thing, it doesn't exist, is close. And, and actually, uh, in a way, it's actually a better phrase than by definition, since it's not absolute in the way that ended up causing so much trouble in Western philosophy. The Chinese did not have to go through torturous philosophical wrangling to finally, after millennia of intellectual struggle, to finally uh, come up with something as simple and obvious and necessary as Wittgenstein's concept of family resemblances. So anyway, if you were raised to be respectful, you probably won't enjoy causing trouble for your superiors. But more or less, by definition, if you don't like causing trouble for your superiors, then you are not the sort of person who sows chaos. So it's not conceptually difficult. Uh, That's pretty much everyone's experience with respectful kids, I imagine. So, but from there, Master Yo concludes that because of this, if you seek to set social behavior on the right path, the way, the Tao, to bring conditions or interactions or collective life or something like that into a state that is naturally functional, to give rise to the Tao, or to cause the way, the Tao, the way to grow and spread, to set things right. If that's what you want to do, if that's your goal in life, you're trying to be a sage, right? Then you should pay attention to the roots of that functionality, which is filial piety, at least in part. It's, it's central. It's key. So the gentle person, the junzi, the superior person we should emulate, of course, is going to be a paying a close attention to just such things. So this brings us to a very interesting point. Because so many cultures have practiced some sort of respect or worship of ancestors, really all of them to some extent, as we can find in funeral ceremonies, which are human universal, uh, there are no human cultures that just stick their dead in the ground and have done with it. All cultures do something to mark the passing of those who have gone before. And because it is a universal, you can pretty much imagine that it must be doing something. It must be doing something positive for the society. It must have some kind of positive effect, and that's why people do that. And the Confucian claim, or at least the claim of Yodza in this episode's passage from the Analects, is that this is part of how people are conditioned to live in situations where people are ranked, where there are people above you and below you. This is a really big deal. The claim here is that this is how you're conditioned to get along in societies that have ranking systems. In the passage, I use the word authority, hao fan shang zhe, uh, other translations may differ, some translate as elders, and by the way, the character uh, Hao here is read in the fourth tone, Hao, to enjoy. Uh, but the word I've translated as authority is actually the simple word Shang. And if you know your basic Chinese, it just means above. So 
We're talking here about those who enjoy going against or making trouble for those who are above. So notice the implication of rank. It's a basic observation of Confucian thought that having clear ranks, having ranking systems is functional. Uh, This is Western Joe ritual, actually, although it's a human universal. When we humans have the greatest need for efficiency, as in war or disasters or whatever, we rank people, and we do it very exactly. Uh, That's the army way, right? But it's the Confucian way, too. So, again, what's going on here? Master Yo said, a young person who's filial and yet loves defying authority is rare. A person who does not love defying authority and yet loves creating chaos There's just never been such a case. And so there it is. The root of this pro-functional stuff, this pro-social, you know, organize your society, get it working smoothly, somehow at the root of that is this filial piety that gets people to the place where they can function in a system that has above and below. That's a pretty powerful point. It, we can miss the the power of it here. It just, in a way, it can seem too obvious, but it's a really big deal. We're saying that Yoza is saying that this is basic to human social functioning. In mainland China, Xi Jinping and the Communist Party have been repurposing Confucianism or reinterpreting lines like this episode's key passage to serve as an ideological basis of a nasty authoritarianism. And that's horrible, but it is worth considering how increasing filial piety could be a solution for some neighborhoods, for some places where there is social chaos or other sorts of social problems. I can think of some areas of the United States that might benefit from teaching kids to knuckle under to their parents. One cultural difference, I assume, is that when we have a troubled neighborhood in the United States, it ordinarily does not occur to us Americans that perhaps there's a need to foster filial piety there. That doesn't come up much. But it could. Maybe it should. I don't find it hard to imagine that a troubled town or a neighborhood with a high rate of crime or violence might benefit, might get headed in the right direction uh, through a social turn towards filial piety. There could be, you know, a rethinking of things like the stories that kids are exposed to at home and in school with a shift towards stories that emphasize loyalty to parents and obedience.
That's the sort of thing that Chinese might do, at least traditionally. Uh, I have almost no idea how such a thing could be pulled off in this country, but it's an interesting question. I presume ways could be found to increase filial piety, and so, if that can be done, would that be a way to denature a troubled or violent neighborhood? But there's something basic here, and I want to conclude with this because it ties in with what I'll talk about in the next episode, how to think of filial piety in terms of self-cultivation and how you might use it for yourself. You see, to get along in the world, to be able to function in ordinary jobs, in ordinary walks of life, uh, so I'm not talking about some outrageous celebrity or a do-as-I-damn-well-please rapper or a rock star who maybe fits somebody's romantic ideal of total freedom or, or mistake self-abandonment for the good life, uh, certainly a childish mistake. No, I, I, not that kind of thing. But to be able to get along in the world— you need to be able to go along sometimes and even to do what you're told sometimes. And so parents, you know, they always pay attention to their kids' behavior to help them grow and develop. And that means inevitably teaching them to be respectful, right? To listen to adults, to honor their parents, at least in some way. The core teachings any responsible adult would want a child to learn are very, very obviously things that are beneficial to kids. And it follows that many of the things that we teach uh, kids are useful to us as adults, too. And it's easy to lose sight of that. I certainly do. I mean, I've sometimes looked at people in higher positions or positions above me merely as obstacles to my own advancement. <laughs> right? I've actually looked at people and just seen them as obstacles. And competition can be a good thing. But when I've experienced that about myself, when I haven't been respectful of someone above me, you know, when in the past I've considered this or that boss, not as someone to be respected, but as a problem to be solved by my taking over his position. You know, when I've experienced things like that, I felt, I mean, I've sensed that there is something ugly in that. It's certainly not benevolent behavior. And of course, such behavior is associated with the kinds of power struggles that can cause dysfunction in any organization. That's what was so obvious to the Ruists as things fell apart in the spring and autumn period, and especially in the Warring States period when the NLX was put together as a text. But it was that clarity of the Confucian vision that gives us something else, that clarity about how such kinds of ugliness as I've just mentioned that I've seen in myself, that that ugly thing that can arise in competition, how that gets in the way of benevolence. I should say that in my life, I've failed often in this regard. I really have. It may be one of my greatest areas of failure. And so I think probably I have little to offer you here, but I, I can tell you 
that there is something to the idea that filial piety links a person to the capacity to interact well with superiors. And when I have gotten these things right, when I have experienced that kind of respectfulness, I, I don't know how else to put it, it's just better. That's all for this episode. Next time, we'll take a romp through some other passages on filial piety and the intellects to fill out our understanding. Next time, I'll also launch a critique of how the Confucian view of filial piety conflicts with other Confucian values and ideals. And we need to consider how to think of filial piety in the context of contemporary societies, which are very different from the type of agricultural society that Confucius took for granted. Next time, I also want to touch on the book, The Tao of Pooh. It's a great book, even though it's very hard on Confucius. I think it's a little unfair, so I want to defend Confucius's taste in vinegar. You'll see what I mean. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. Please join us for that. Uh, please remember to follow this podcast and be in touch at confucianpodcast at gmail.com. Till next time, express kindness, develop your mind, avoid all depravity, and serve the common good. I'm Andy Abel. Thank you for listening. <laughs>